Hello, Life Changes Church. We are in our series, Move Again. We are looking through the book of Exodus as the Israelites move out of slavery and oppression, move through the wilderness, and move into the promises of God. Head over to our social media or our website for more content, such as podcasts and blogs. But also grab a notebook and a pen as we look at all that God has for us during this time. Three quick points. As we jump in, we, we, we preached up to the, the Passover two weeks ago in Exodus chapter 12. If you don't know, we're in a series called Move Again, and we're going through the book of Exodus. Please, please, please find yourself in the Word of God. Please be reading. It's not that hard. I promise you. Take one or two chapters a day. Cut out Netflix for like half an hour, and I promise you will be pulled into a greater story ever. But we preach right up into the Passover, and I want to just mention a few things as I was going to preach about this, but I want to jump into something else. Just three quick points about the Passover that I think are often missed. The first one is this. As someone said to me this week, said, yo, God got heavy with the Egyptians, eh? meaning in the Passover as the firstborn of the Egyptians were wiped out, God was only judging the Egyptians. The first point is this. The Passover was not a look over. Meaning, everyone was judged for their sin. Everyone, including the Israelites, including God. Everyone was judged. And the only difference, the only difference was that the Israelites had a substitute. The only difference was that the Israelites had a sacrifice. The only difference was the blood on the doors of their homes. That was the only difference. They had sinned as well. I mean, the, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians kept on rejecting God's command, but actually many times God's own people had lacked faith, had not trusted. And so when we look at the Passover, we get it wrong when we think, yo, God was hard with those guys. Yeah. The judgment upon sin is harsh. That's why God said only a perfect sacrifice, a perfect lamb would count. Does that make sense? Yeah. Is that good? I just think it's really helpful. The second point is this. You've got to look at the Passover and say, Plague one, plague two, frogs and gnats and all these, the boils and all these plagues, all of them still reaped no result of freedom. And then God says, what I'm going to do is the blood of a perfect sacrifice pointing to Jesus, but the blood can do what nothing else can do. I just want to declare that over you. I want to tell us as we come and we understand, we read this book, please understand as you read the Exodus, it's a forward-looking picture to Jesus who is to come, that his blood can achieve what nothing else can achieve. Even the the plagues and the miracles and the staff, nothing could achieve the freedom of God's people like the blood. And we keep pointing forward. And I realize I'm shooting through this, but the last one, and I think it's important, is that the blood could achieve perfection, and yet God required from his people faith and obedience. We've got to look at it. We've got to say, okay, the blood could always and would always do what the blood achieves, which is freedom for people. And yet God says, what I require of you is faith and obedience. Understand this, you could have been a firstborn Israelite feeling the favor of God upon your people, I'm God's chosen people, walking around that night. But if the blood wasn't on your door and you were in your house and your family went feasting on that lamb and and totally enjoying and operating under the obedience to God's word, you wouldn't make the next day. It wouldn't be because of your national pride as an Israelite. It wouldn't have been because of your good life that you've lived. God wouldn't have looked over and passed over your story. You would have died with the firstborn of the Egyptians. It was the faith and obedience to take that blood, slaughter that perfect lamb, put him on the doors, which might have made no sense to anyone that allowed God to come and pass over. And I just want to put that out there because I think sometimes we look at something like the Passover and because we lack understanding of God, we miss the big, big story of the gospel because God's still looking 
for faith and obedience. We sometimes whittle it down. We try and make it palatable. We, well, but that's not really my style, like blood on the front door. That's not kind of feng shui in my house. So I don't, I'm not much of a designer, so I don't know why I went with that one. But, um, but, but it doesn't really work for me. The red wouldn't go with my house. God's saying, I don't care what goes with your house. I want to know what goes with your freedom, buys that freedom and brings peace. So that's just, I wanted to shoot into that, but I want to jump into Exodus 13 and 14 right now. It's just post the Passover, and Pharaoh has come and said to Moses, take the people, go, go, go. As Pharaoh's own son has just been killed and, and, and lost his life in the Passover, just the tragedy, Pharaoh says to Moses, take the people. And we enter into Exodus chapter 13, and we see the start of a journey into a desert. And I want to speak this morning about surrender in the desert. But I first want to tell you why as we preach this series. Whenever we preach a series and we go through the book, there's always a relevance to the situation people are in. I realize I'm preaching a series to people, to many who are coming out of different forms, different shapes of slavery. For some, it's addictions. For others, it's cycles of brokenness. For others, it's relational chaos and brokenness in lives. For others, it's just loss that has led to deep sadness and pain. It's different for different people. For others, it's a marriage that has been in a desolate place for a long time. For these people, in, under the, the, the slavery of the Egyptian masters, they had experienced 400 years of whips cracking down on them. Work harder, deliver more, whips cracking down. That's all they had known. For 400 years, they lived under the imminent threat of death because they were of no value. They were a tool for a task for the Egyptian slave masters. That's what you'll always be to a slave master. Whether that slave master is sexuality, whether that slave master is the affirmation of man, whatever the slave master, you will always be a tool for a task. And you know it. You, you will always, they were for 400 years defenseless um, and at the mercy of their master. For 400 years, they, they, any child that was brought into this life by the Israelites was brought into slavery. There was no other future available for that child. And then Moses comes and says, God's setting you free. Now we've got to process that because the minute they put their foot in the desert and said, we're going on the journey, is that slave master gone? Is that pain and that, is, is it gone? No, the reality is, and it's a challenge, that if you've ever been used to being driven by a slave master, there needs to come the reset to be led by a lover. There's got to be a reset in my heart and my thinking. There's got to be a reset to be able to receive the freedom that he brings. Because the minute he speaks strongly, as God does sometimes in his word, I start responding like the master used to whip me. I start responding like the slave I used to be rather than the son or the daughter that he's brought. And people who have been in abusive relationships often struggle to receive love and the care of another. Why? Because it's like that place in their heart has been broken. Well, God wants to restore it. The Exodus was more than a people of God on the move. It was a people learning to follow the leading of a loving Savior rather than fall before the beating of their master. They had to relearn a whole bunch of things. And maybe today, I want to tell you about the, one of the greatest gifts the church are given that's got a little bit messed up in too many teachings, the gift of repentance. 
A gift that says, actually, it's the changing of our thinking back to seeing how God sees. It's a 180-degree turn back to how God sees. And as we would repent, we come back into his sight. The problem, abusive relationships, loss, and slavery pulls us into this direction. That's the only thing we can see. No, God wants to move us again in repentance to see him. And I want to speak a couple simple points this morning because part of what the Exodus is about is learning to follow God in the toughest times like a desert And David uses the picture of the shepherd, and ongoingly we see the picture of God as a shepherd. Not a slave driver, not a whipper of the sheep, a good shepherd who leads us to a place where we lack nothing. I want to speak this morning about surrender in the desert. The first one is this, and I'll explain why, because it becomes hard to surrender to any leading in our life if leaders have disappointed. It's a challenge. To be honest, in church, often the hardest people to lead into freedom and to take on a journey are people who've been hurt in church by leaders before. Let's just be honest. Come with stuff. And it's often harder to uproot and unplug that stuff, say, I'm not that guy, but I've had people sitting and say, why should I trust you? Just because you're a pastor. I'm like, well, I haven't got too many comebacks on that one. <laughs> Why should I trust you? Because the Bible said God's a father, but you don't know what my father did. So anytime there's a voice that wants to lead us, and I want to tell you, part of move again is we aren't just moving, we are being led by a shepherd who loves us, who's paid the highest price. The first one is this, surrender the need for speed. Yes, I know it rides. It's just one of those, because you're going to remember it. Surrender the need for speed. I don't know about you, but but. I love going the quickest way. So I often have to go to the southern suburbs. Every time I go to the southern suburbs, I will use this glorious thing called Waze. Anyone know the glory of Waze? Being an app on your cell phone that you plug in the destination, and it tells you there's traffic here, and there's a big red line. Oh, glory, missed that. I love the quickest route. I'm the guy when I'm driving up to a robot and there are three or four lanes. I start counting from 600 meters out. Seven cars, three cars, two cars, woo! I want to be there. I don't know why. It's probably some form of brokenness, but, but I, I, I really do like taking the quickest route. I grew up in a home before GPS was a thing with a father who loved the scenic route, but he would lie like straight out and tell you this is the quickest route, but we all knew it wasn't, but he had the steering wheel, so we would go on the scenic route, and I want to tell you God took his people on the scenic route says this in Exodus 13, verse 7. Remember, they've just come out into freedom. They've just been released. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Like, I would just stop there. Like, come on, God. We've been in slavery for 400 years. We want to get to the good place. But God says, not the shortest route. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Why? Who likes the shortest route? Let's just be honest in the room. Yep, all the impatient people resonate with you. And yet God takes his people and says, after all your years of slavery, I need to take you on a longer route. Why? Well, the Bible tells us. God takes us first because if they'd gone the more shortest route, which would have been immediately north and then along the coast, that would have been the shortest route, it would have first taken them past the Egyptian fortress. 
And their hearts might have been tempted to go back to slavery. Why? Because anyone who's been controlled by a slave master is often tempted to go back to the slave master. Why do people who've been abused tend to go back to the abuser over time? Why? Because there is a leaning towards, I know that. I don't know this. This desert you're leading into me, I don't know this. And secondly, if they got past the Egyptian fortress, they would have had to face the Philistines who understand this. The the Israelite people had been in slavery for 400 years. They hadn't been in boot camp. They hadn't been training. They weren't an army raised up. They were slaves who knew what it was to carry rocks and build pyramids. That doesn't help in war. And the Philistines hadn't forgotten about Goliath just yet. They still hated God's people. See, they didn't know that, but God knew that. And so God takes them on a journey the long way around. See, God knew what they couldn't handle. It's often the greatest challenge of men. We don't know what we can't handle. We're pretty sure of what we can, but we don't know what's coming around the corner. You don't know what lies around the corner. Two years ago, no one knew what was coming around the corner. So God says, will you surrender your need for speed in this life? Oh, God, I I desperately, desperately need this relationship, so I'm going to cut corners to make it work. I've seen it a hundred times. It doesn't work. I I need to to step into financial freedom, so I'm going to cut corners. I'm not going to pay the tax man. I'm not going to pay people I owe money to. I'm not going to honor. God says, no, those are not my ways. Will you surrender your need for speed and honor my ways? Secondly, This scripture, they go on a journey, and it says this in Exodus 13, verse 20, after leaving Succoth, it's a good place to leave, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people of God. Second, surrender your need to lead. And maybe saying, well, I'm not a leader, Mark. No, we all want to lead our own stories. And God says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to position myself in front of the people, and they will follow, and I will lead them. It literally says that the Lord went ahead of them. You know the amazing thing? When Jesus comes to the disciples in all translations, except for the message, I checked. It says, Jesus says to them, follow me. He doesn't say, hey, guys, come walk with me, which have been so more woke in 2022. Like, let's form a round table. I'll just sit at the round table. We'll just round table our way on a walk. That sounds way more like politically correct in 2022. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus says to these disciples, follow me. And the call still comes to disciples and believers, follow me. Jesus is not saying, come on a walk with me and I'll save you. He's saying, follow me and I'll lead you to life. And we live in a world where we are the kings of our castle. And the challenge is when we've been locked down by slave masters and then someone else says, follow me, it takes some relearning to trust again. It does. And that's okay. But that's why we've got to move again. So we can learn and move into a place of trust and surrender to his pace, our need for speed, and to trusting him, our need to lead. Thirdly, Simply this, and this is probably the biggest one in our time, surrender the need to understand. It goes like this in Exodus 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Harihar, between my, I struggle with these names, that's why, 
I don't live there. I'd get lost all the time. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. It's not just Pharaoh who would think that. Everyone would think that. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Please understand this. God has told them, I'm taking on the long route. He takes them south. He deals with them. And that level says you weren't ready for the Red Sea just yet. They didn't know that. So they then, Moses says, guys, turn around. We're going back up. It would look like God had got his GPS wrong. It would look like Moses wasn't hearing, and two and a half pe- million people going, we knew we were going the wrong way. Who's ever tried to lead like a group on a hike, and there's no map, and you're like, it's this way, I've been here, and every seven-year-old is like, no, it's not. <laughs> Shut up. It's terrible. Trust me, I've got three of them. And every time we're like, they've always got a better way to go. Well, the challenge is, we always think we need to understand where we're going. God, we're not moving till you explain to us why we got to turn around again. And God's saying, no, understand this. I always had the plan for you to walk through a sea, but if I told you that when you walked out of freedom, you were so broken by the slavery, you were so broken by those voices that if I told you that, you would have been totally overwhelmed and you would never have walked to a place where you were hemmed in by sea. Because you didn't understand then and you don't understand now and you'll probably never fully understand until you sit by my side in heaven. But until then, I need you to surrender your understanding. So the challenge is when God healed the lame man. The lame man didn't go up, stop, stop, I'm walking, but Jesus, I don't understand. When Jesus healed and raised that little 12-year-old girl from her deathbed, she didn't wake up and first thing like, God, I've got to understand what's going on here. She just went, thank you. You getting it? We live in this age where if we don't understand it and Google can't explain it, we don't move. God's saying, that's not the gospel. That's not how I move you from desert and slavery into the promised land. Because if I told you, I'm going to part the seas and you're going to walk through on dry land. No, they weren't standing in the middle of the sea. We are not moving a foot further until you explain to us how you have done this. Can you? No. Pharaoh and his guys are coming. They are running on dry land through and they're saying, God, we don't know how this is happening, but we are coming. That's who we are. We're the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and he does the miracles when we trust him and we surrender. Because if the God of heaven and earth tells you to do a handstand, I would suggest do a handstand. Because Jesus spat in one guy's eye. I mean, come on, guys. This is corona time. You don't spit in anyone's eyes without, I mean, oh, no. I mean, how could he dare do that? He says, go wash your eyes. Like, I'm going to do that. But wash it seven times. Wash it. You like that one, Lee? <laughs> and I'm going, you don't have to understand. Surrender your understanding. I'm not saying become doff. I'm not saying that. I'm saying when it comes to things of eternity and things way beyond your understanding, don't fight. Surrender. Number four, and simply this, as I encourage us to a people who move with God and surrender to his leading, Again, why? Because I know that I know 
that most people who walk through those doors are not saying we want a good solid word to come and edify our souls. No, they're going, there's challenges in my life. There's unanswered questions. There's needs. There's realities. And there's a question about eternity. I need help. Well, let me help you. Surrender. Point number four, surrender the need to be the powerful one. We, we live in a world where it's on, it's every social media. We just put our powerful foot forward. Look how strong I am. Look how good life is. Look how amazing this is. Exodus 14, verse 4, And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Whatever journey you're on, there's a singular mandate that God gets all the glory and that the world around would know that he is the Lord. That is the journey. Whether you're a CEO hotshot of a multinational corporation, whether you are, are homeschooling your kids, whether you are in any field in this life, whatever age or stage you are, God wants his glory from your life. And the problem is, if you are living for your glory and your power, you'll probably miss his salvation story. Because if Moses got to the, the Red Sea and said, yo, I'm in trouble here. There's just a sea, Pharaoh. I'm going to make a plan. And started running south along the coast. He would have missed the big wide open sea. And we do that so often. Why? Because we want the glory. Look at this great idea we had. Well, it doesn't have to be. Give God all the glory. Give him the glory. Surrender the glory. Surrender the position of power in your life which means the idol of me needs to come off its throne so that God can be seated on his throne in my life. And when that happens, I'm surrendering to his glory. And he does miracles. And lastly, surrender your ways so that you can know his ways. It says this in verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to die in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I mean, how dramatic. It's just an incredible drama scene that plays out. Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord you will bring to, he will bring today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. See, the amazing thing is, the Israelites got it wrong. They started fearing. They started getting nervous, and they wanted to run for the hills, but the hills were taken by the Egyptians. Then even Moses got it wrong. Moses says to them, hey, all you need to do, you just need to be still. The problem is God in the very next verse says, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. See, Moses had known and God had spoken in the past to be still. But God says, I spoke to you that then. You're standing on the edge of the sea. I'm speaking again. Move. Raise up your, raise up your staff over this water and watch me do a supernatural miracle. So here's the challenge. See, these people after 400 years of slavery were a nation with PTSD. They were a whole nation with it. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Every time someone would have whipped one of the cattle to get her moving, everyone around them would have gone, what? I'm not trying to minimize it. That was their reality. Every time a rock dropped, they're like waiting for a master. 
Every time they, they, they slipped up or slipped, they're going looking for a master who's watching over them. That's who they were still. It was deep, 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 and God was trying to rip it out of them, and he was trying to do it graciously. It didn't take 40 years instead of 11 days because God was lost. It's because God always had the promised land for them. He needed them to be ready to receive it. But I'm telling you, our willingness to go on these journeys of surrendering can speed up the processes of God in our lives if we would just trust Him. See, God says, move on. We challenge. Because Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. See, that's why religion doesn't work. Yes, I said that. Religion doesn't work because religion is based on man's efforts to appease God according to the principles they think God is looking them to appease. And God's saying, no, I've never asked man to jump through hoops. I've asked man to respond as sons and daughters of the living God. I've asked man to go on the journey of receiving salvation found in Jesus through surrender and through the power of the cross in their lives to enter into a relationship with the Father. But some of them have got to come through deep seas and only the God of heaven can part. I've sat in counseling rooms in that room and that room and that room and I've heard the most disastrous stories of people's lives. And often I've got no answers for them. And I'll remind people, don't come to me for answers. My job is to show you Jesus. He's got your answers. Because I've got no answers to this situation. I've got no plaster that can fix your pain. I've got no pill that can fix the, the broken promises in your story. But Jesus, who parts the seas. Jesus, whose blood never fails. Jesus, who's always on time. Jesus, who graciously leads us as the good shepherd towards freedom and life. See, surrender is hard for someone. But the amazing thing is God leads his people into a desert. And then Jesus comes. What journey does Jesus go on? Go on. It says the Spirit of God led him into the wilderness. Now we think the wilderness is a place of weakness. It doesn't have to be. Where did we get that from? No, Jesus faces his greatest temptation in the wilderness and faces up to it and defeats the lies of the enemy in strength because he's been in the wilderness because in the wilderness we are completely and utterly reliant on the living God who the one, the only one who can bring water from rocks. I don't know what you need, read, you need right now, but maybe your soul needs water that can only come from rocks right now. You look around, it's just dry. See, Jesus keeps taking slaves to a savior. Our job is keep allowing him to changing our thinking. Hey, I'm no longer a slave. I don't need to respond every time there's a whip. Why? Because that whip doesn't come down on me. Because I'm a son of the living God. Can we stand together this morning? I feel like we've got to do some repentance. Not to man, not here, not like public. I'm saying before God, come to God and say, God, I need you to align my thinking to your thinking. 
If you're like me, maybe it's the surrendering the need for speed. My career hasn't gone at the pace I'd hoped, and I've worked so hard. And God, where are you? I've been faithful. I've given. I've sown. God, why has it not? Well, you don't know the Philistine story around the corner. You don't know how God has protected you from armies and weapons and war. Oh, you've got to surrender the need to lead. I, I've got my story. I'm the king of my castle. Now, it's a great song from the 90s, but God's not calling you to be the king of your castle. Saying there's only one king. He's seated on his throne. He didn't need a castle because he's won the battle. He says, will you, will you surrender your understanding? and say, but Mark, I've been hurt. I know. I've been offended. I know. I've been bruised. I've been whipped. I've been abused. I know. I know. So does he. Will you surrender your understanding to the only one who truly knows? the beginning from the end. What life truly looks like as he pours out his blood to bring freedom and take a broken people. The Israelites were his people, but they were a broken people. He says, I, I need to take them through unbroken. And he wants to do the same with you. As we sing this song that Bunty wrote, he said it's an original piece. Bunty wrote the song for you to know that on this side of eternity, we can declare as it is in heaven that I don't just bring my time. I was abused by a family member. One day in heaven, say, Jesus, heal me. No, I can come to Jesus now. I can come before the throne of grace now with my pain and my brokenness and can say, God, he says, will you surrender? And like they had to, in faith and obedience, put the blood upon their doorframe. Every day I come and say, God, in faith and obedience, Jesus, your blood. Would you bring healing? If you need to, while eyes are closed in this moment, if you see, I need to repent I, for, for impatience. I need to repent of some of my, my arrogant thinking. I want to tell you that outside of the Spirit of God, I have arrogant thinking at times. And so do many men and women. It's like, I know better. I can map this out. I can make a plan. No, surrender. You'll make a plan. And trust the one who's made the plan. Can we close our eyes? If that's you, you're saying, Mark, I, I actually, I need to access the grace that is found in repentance. I need to access the only way to healing that is only found in Jesus God. I need to surrender to the Almighty, to His glory, to His grace, to His ways in my life. God, I come this morning and I surrender again, God. There's no one like you, God. There's no one who can part the seas. There's no one who can raise the dead. There's no one who can fix what man has broken. There is no one but the living God, but His blood that never fails, but you, God, but you, God, but you, God. So we surrender this morning, God. Come and heal this morning, I pray, God. Heal. Where deep-rooted pain has held for decade after decade. Uprooted, God, I pray, by your blood. Heal. Release your people to journeys of freedom, to the promised land, to more promises in you, God. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was an incredible message. If you want to get connected, please head over to our website. But if you want to find out more about this amazing series, Follow us on Facebook and Instagram or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Otherwise, have an incredible week.